Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys as always. And today it is time to dive into some headlines around Tar Heel football that have been going on since the last time that we talked to you, including an update from Mac Brown today on a couple of different roster things heading into the bowl game. We'll tell you about those. We do have Carolina landing three transfer commitments in a 24-hour span, so we have to break those down for you and tell you the impact that it has on this uh, roster moving forward for the Tar Heels starting in 2023. And then I do have a couple of signing day notes for you, as that is right around the corner Wednesday. It gets underway, so uh, we have you covered with all of that here on this edition of the podcast. And Uh, First thing that we'll get into here is the return of one of Carolina's top defensive stars from this season. Cedric Gray makes it official. Not really sure just how... Just how close Carolina was to losing him. Uh, this was one that I don't really think a lot of people had on their radar. I think a, a lot of people really just worried about, of course, Drake May and some of the other guys that left in the defensive backfield. Those were, you know, it moves that I think some people definitely expected. But Cedric Gray does come out. He releases a video today. Uh, Mac Brown says during his press conference that he is in fact coming back this season. And uh, that's a big that's big for Carolina, a guy that led the Power Five in tackles this past season. Um, you know, a guy that was a first team All ACC representative for Carolina, and really was one of the few shining lights on a defense that struggled from the word go this season. Uh, to get him back is is big, and you know, I I, I think, he, like I said, I don't know how seriously. It was he, he was considering leaving. But if that was something that would have actually happened, that could have been a huge, huge blow for a Carolina defense that has already lost a lot of pieces and struggled even while he was in there this year. Yeah, no, that would have probably been the death blow because at that point you probably see Power Eccles just transfer because what's the point in, in staying? There. There really isn't one because all of your best players from your defense this past year would have already been in the portal. And, you know, I never really thought about said Gray leaving. So when he released a video, that kind of caught me off guard. But in this day and age, uh, virtually every kid that stays puts up some graphic or some video or something to announce that they are staying. But, you know, th- th- this is <clears throat> this is big for Carolina to start figuring out how else they want to attack building the, rebuilding this defense via the portal. Because now you know you've got your linebacking core back in, in Eccles and, and, and Cedric Gray, which will be among one of the better duos in the ACC next year. 
And so now you can attack the defensive line. You can still look at getting guys in the defensive backfield, whether it's via the portal or on the recruiting trail, knowing that you've got your linebackers back. Because had had one, because if one had left, you'd have to go find another hole. You have to fill another, you know, fill another uh, a hole on the team because Ra Ra Dilworth transferred, yep. and no one else really in, uh, at that position group would be ready to step up. So that's asking a lot of Sebastian Chiefs. Uh, yeah, no so doubt. I, I feel like you know, for right now, for Mac Brown and his staff, it's one less headache to, to try to figure out, and that's what this offseason season is now for every coach in the country. It's a headache. You got to figure out how many guys are staying, how many guys are leaving, and then how do you want to go about replacing what you've lost in the portal while also being on the recruiting trail? And so it's one area where Mac Brown could look at, you know, his staff and say, "We're good in this department. Now let's go get X, Y, and Z or whatever." Yeah, I mean, look, it doesn't really shock me that he, you know, what w- w- could have been receiving calls. I mean, with just how successful he was. This season, you would imagine that there were people that would, you know, at least attempt to see if he was thinking about leaving. But the other thing is, I, I he was one I think we just all kind of thought there's no doubt because remember the story before the season that Carolina was the one Power Five team that took a risk on him um, and offered him a scholarship. Before then, it, it looked like he was probably going to West Point to play for Army. Um, so Carolina, I, I, I think. That definitely helped them, and I think the amount of success, the way he fits this system, and how much of a leader he has become, I, I think it would be hard for Cedric Gray to leave all that. But you're right. This could have been a major blow because you had already lost Ra-Ra Dilworth this offseason. Um, look, you had a guy on campus this this past weekend in Amari Gaynor coming over you know, from, from Florida State that you would hope you, you could potentially be able to bring in in the portal. But that's a guy that, you know, look, he, he's had some good moments at Florida State, but he's a guy that ideally you'd probably like as a rotational guy more than anything. So, uh, yeah, no, there's no doubt that this is big for Carolina. And now this pretty much secures that linebacker room. You just got Michael Short to fill the spot that was left behind by KV on keys. Not quite as athletic, not the coverage guy um, that y- you know. He's got a couple shortcomings, you might say. Okay, all right. You knew that was you knew that was that, that was going to be coming with uh, his, his name being Michael Short. Uh, you got any other ones before we move on here? Nah, they're. <laughs> I'm just on the short end of the stick today. I'm just hoping that he can stop a couple people short. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, a, a guy that sort of fits that billing as an extremely athletic linebacker. Um, and and I, I think now with him in the fold, you have the commitments from uh, both Amari Campbell and Caleb Lavalli in the class. And you, of course, now bring back your two starters you will have Sebastian Cheeks back there. Um, I, I think this is you got to be feeling pretty good about where this room is at. Deuce Caldwell as well. You got to be feeling pretty good about where this room is at right now. Uh, some of the other news that Mac Brown talked about, um, really a list of, of multiple guys and what they are going to do here in the future. Uh, first of all, Antoine Green, uh, a wide receiver, uh, Brian Anderson, and Jaleel Taylor will all play their final games in the bowl game. None of those really unexpected. I think with Jaleel Taylor, because of what I will t- what, what we'll talk about here in just a second, um, it appears that this means his career is over. Um, I think that all all of these guys will have played their final game of football and will be moving on in life is basically what I've come to understand. Uh, I don't know with, with Antoine Green if that is true. Um, that's that's kind of shocking and 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 honestly a, a bit stunning with how successful he was in the middle of the season. He was sort it's starting to get at least some sort of draft type, but. You know, with as many injuries as he suffered, it wouldn't be shocking either. Brian Anderson, guy that was beat up, uh, especially last year, and came back this year, set behind Corey Gaynor, didn't play at all. So, yeah, it makes sense for him why he's moving on. And then with Jaleel Taylor, a lot of these guys, it's, it, it seems like injuries are playing a big factor. But one guy that is in this group that was a little, I, I think, unexpected to many is Ed Montalus. He is going to play his final game uh, in the bowl game, and that will be, you know, he, he apparently has just said he has had enough football. He, he is ready to move on. 
in life. So that means Carolina will lose their starting left guard coming up this season. Now, the good news is is that one of the transfers that they landed, versatile offensive lineman that can help them there, but losing uh, at least one starter there. Don't know about the statuses of Corey Gaynor and Awesome Richards, both of whom are at least going to test the waters of the NFL before making their official decisions on coming back. And Corey Gaynor still has to get a waiver from the NCAA. So once again, second straight season, we could be seeing some shifting on that Carolina offensive line. Yeah, and it's going to be another challenge for Randy Clements in this Chip Lindsey to get that offensive line to gel and play at a high level because I think we saw that when this offensive line played well, you saw the best version of Drake May in this offense. If you go back and you and you really look at when this offensive line really started to you started really started to decline, it was really from that that Virginia game on. It just felt like they were never the same. There were you know the, there were. Stuff that was going up front, that there was leaks, and they weren't communicating and stuff like that. And you really saw this offensive, this offense, kind of become a little bit more a lesser shell of itself. And that's a big reason why Drake May only had three touchdowns in the final three games. But you know, you, you, the thing about it is, like, you look at Ed Montalus. I've said this about some guys. Like in the in the short run, it it hurts. But in the long run, Carolina could get a better player. He was a rotational guy. Right. I, that's what I thought. So, like, you him. know, you could find either someone on the roster now has an opportunity mm-hmm. to step up and fill that void, and that's what you're hoping for because that's that, that's how you know you've got a good program. It's that when you got to quit going outside to quit finding all these holes or all these players to, to, to fill all these holes, you hope that someone in the intermediate just show, that steps up and takes advantage of, of this opportunity, but as you mentioned, the offensive lineman they brought in via the portal, he, he he's a versatile offensive lineman, and I think that's something that Carolina's maybe got to get back to trying to get in here is quit recruiting just you know you know specific player positions, get flexible offensive linemen because injuries are going to happen, attrition's going to happen, or if a guy is struggling enough. Maybe you'd be more willing to put other guys in different scenarios. I think it's been the biggest problem with this offensive line is that when guys would struggle, we were just kind of just, well, they're got this guy is struggling. We got to just kind of ride it out because we didn't trust other guys to go in there and, and step up and make plays. Um, so, I mean, it, it sucks for him, but I do think Carolina could stand to be improved with him not being a starter next season. Well, and I think in terms of the versatility of the offensive lineman, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. And that started last year with Dad, with Jack McDowell Jr. Um, he said one of the biggest things that he wanted to you know sort of hammer home, and it probably would have been if he would have stayed here for multiple years, was guys learning multiple positions because he came from the NFL level where guys get hurt and – the, be- the, the thing that they want to be able to do is plug in their next best player. And they want guys that can play a multitude of different positions. Not, well, we have to match up, so, hey, there might be a drop-off, but because we have a couple of guys on the roster that are extremely talented but only play tackle, we can't use them. And you saw some cross-training from those guys this past season. Um, I, I think you could see more of that moving forward with Randy Clements, a guy that's a veteran and has been doing this for a long, long time. And I, I think, yeah, it opens the door for some other guys to step up. I mean, look, maybe this is where Zach Rice sort of gets himself entrenched. That could be, I think, at right tackle because I think they do have to have a battle there in the offseason. I don't think that should just be given back to Spencer Rollin because I think Spencer Rollin really, really struggled uh, down the stretch of the season, really the second half of the year, but especially in that final three-game stretch. So I think Carolina, you know, th- there have to be some conversations on that offensive line, but you're probably right. I-, I think, you know, with him moving on, Awesome Richards would definitely hurt if he was to go to the NFL level because he, he you know, first ten games of the season, first, well, first nine games of the season, um, he was about as automatic as it got. Um, he, he was tremendous, was a guy that looked like he was headed towards first-team All-ACC honors and really struggled down the stretch of the year. Um, and, and I think that, you know, who know, we'll see if that hurt his draft stock, um, if he's still a guy that could make it to the NFL and feels like that's his best opportunity. But I, I think Carolina, you know, again, if they lose him, I think then – 
you've still got you know some talent there. Zach Rice would be one of the favorites, and there's still the option to go into the transfer portal. I get what you're saying. You'd love to find those solutions on the roster, but at the same time, the transfer portal is there, and every team in the country is using it. So you might as well go into the portal. If you can find a guy that can really help you that much, it makes sense to go into the portal and grab that guy. In terms of Corey Gaynor, this is where you know the transfer – um, and we'll talk about him here more in a little in, in a couple of minutes. But Willie Lampkin, he's played tackle, he's played guard, and he's played center, and he started entire seasons at each one of those positions. So this dude can be used across the board. That's why getting him helps so much. Uh, you move over uh, to the guys that will be playing in this game, but will transfer afterwards. Dante Balfour, Kendall Carr. Dontavious Nash and Keyshawn Silver will all be available to play in the bowl game. It'll be interesting to see how much these guys play. I mean, Dante Balfour, he may actually get a chance to play out there because of how thin Carolina is at the cornerback position. Uh, Dontavious Nash, possibly, because there is a rumor that uh, Cameron Kelly, who said he was going to play in the bowl game, is now no longer going to play in the bowl game, so we'll have Thank to see that. God. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Inside Carolina, there was apparently a rumor. He put out a video earlier today, though, so I'm not really— I, I, I don't video of what? All his missed tackles? Of his highlights, yes. Of his highlights. It is not, Believe it or not, he, he found pretty much the plays that he did make and left out a lot of the plays that he did not make. Over his uh, over the years, uh, there were many comments below that said, "Were these the only ones that you could actually pluck from?" So, um, yeah, I, I mean, but there is there is a legitimate chance that he, I, I think, may not play in the bowl game. So, yeah, that could open the door for a guy like Dontavious Nash. This is going to be an interesting thing to monitor going forward. And really, none of these guys are shocking here, but. What do you think about the trend of entering the transfer portal and still playing in your team's bowl game? Because I, I, there will be guys that do this moving forward, I, it seems like. Let me turn this around on you. What do you think I think about it? I think you think that it is the dumbest thing possible. Kick these guys off the team and move on. Um, in, in, a, in a roundabout way, yes. What does it benefit? How how does how do we get better next year? And, and for teams that aren't playing in New Year's Six Bowl games, the most important part of bowl season is the extra practice time that you get. Carolina's going to have, what, an additional 12 to 15 practices by going to play this bowl game. How do you benefit from a guy playing and taking reps from a guy who's not going to be here next year? I mean, you almost wonder to a certain extent – I mean, do they just feel like they don't have enough bodies? I mean, with like with like Kendall Carr, I guess you know the tight end spot is loaded. How much is he honestly going to play in this game? Um, it, it, for a lot of these guys, it's 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 the courtesy of hey, you were here, you went about it the right way, coming to us and talking about you know what your options should be. And then you decided to enter the transfer portal. So that's what I think it is. But to be honest with you, I think, look, if you want to allow these guys to practice with you, you know, for the bowl practices and dress for the bowl game, I think it makes sense. But in all honesty, unless you absolutely have to play these guys, for your sake, you you should be looking at the other guys that are on the roster. Like Balfour, look, I mean, if you have to play him because you got a guy that goes down hurt and you get to the point where you're just like, look, we don't want to risk anybody else getting hurt, I guess then it makes a little bit of sense. But I, I don't know. And to be honest with you, some of these other, some some of these guys, I mean, look, are you 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 honestly wonder, are they just not receiving a lot of offers? Are they pushing for bigger offers? Like what is the what is the perk to playing in the bowl game? Because uh, to be honest with you, it's isn't it sort of like a the risk you take if you play in this game before going to the NFL draft, where you could get hurt. Yep. And you go to your new team hurt, and potentially you could lose a season at your new school. Like that's the thing that's kind of interesting to me. But I, I mean, look, Carolina is not the only one that's going to do this. There are going to be plenty other schools around the country that will play guys in their bowl game. I mean, look, Grayson McCall is starting the bowl game for Coastal Carolina at quarterback. If you're them, 
I mean, would you not want to find, see, I mean, I, they've been playing a guy with him out hurt, but would you not want to see if that guy is your guy moving forward? So do you sit out a guy that's as talented as Grayson McCall, or do you play him in the final game of the year? I, I think that, that's the thing that, on top of everything else with the transfer portal, this is another element that I think you're going to have to get used to in trying to figure out with your roster. Yeah, if I was a head coach, I'd tell him thanks, but no thanks. Like, you're not benefiting me next year. And, like, as much as – like, coaches are going to tell you that they they want to win the game. I I don't really think if you lose a bowl game, it – like, and I know for us as fans, like, if Carolina loses to Oregon, I'm not going to be sitting there mad. Like, it's – it the game doesn't mean – it doesn't mean anything. Like, the most important thing is to start getting ready for next year. And for Carolina, next year is a really big year. It's an important year for the the future and direction of this program post-Drake May, who, for all intents and purposes, will be gone after next year. Mm -hmm. And so if if I'm a coach and I'm sitting here saying, you're not coming back next year, you playing in in a meaningless game doesn't benefit me, it doesn't benefit you, no. I'm not going to play you because I'm not going to risk you getting hurt as you move on and you want to, you know, go somewhere else and, in the case of Cameron Kelly, miss a lot of tackles. But then in, in my case, I could have a guy get 15 full, you know, all, all the reps in practice, everything in the walkthrough, and then get all the, and then get all the game reps. I'm not missing out on that opportunity. And so um, I think this will be something that, you know, once you see – Nick Saban, Davo Sweeney, Jim Harbaugh, one of the big-time coaches, start setting that trend of, okay, you're transferring, but you're not going to play in the bowl game. I think you'll start seeing a lot of coaches follow suit because on the surface, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, I got to be honest. Are the playoff teams, I mean, they have transfers on their roster. Are those guys staying to be a part of those teams? And I think one of the other things that they have to do is look, you sign your early signing class. Most teams sign their early signing class before the bowl game. When you sign the early signing class, are those guys allowed to be part of your bowl game? Or what about the transfers that you're bringing in early? Are those guys eligible to play in your bowl game? If you sign them before the bowl, if you get them to commit before the bowl game, are they allowed to transfer over? Probably not because you're transferring for the next year. And in terms of the recruiting, I mean, look, there are teams right now that are playing their bowl games before the early signing period. So I don't think either one of those are honestly real options. So I don't know. I think this is just something that you'll see moving forward. I'll be interested to see with teams like Alabama and Georgia They've had guys that have entered the portal. Are those guys still on the roster for the games? I mean, most of those guys are usually transferring because they're not playing, but it'll be interesting to see. Uh, So let's get into the three transfers that Carolina does land. And these are three pretty pretty big ones for Carolina. Really, the first two are, are, are huge for Carolina. It starts with offensive lineman Willie Lampkin. Uh, he comes over from Coastal Carolina, a dominant three-year career uh, for Coastal Carolina, starting as a freshman, played guard for them, started every game of that season, all 12 games for them at guard, then moves over to right tackle as a sophomore, plays 13 games out there, grades out as the top offensive lineman, did that uh, as well uh, a few times as a freshman, And then this past season, absolutely dominant as the center for Coastal. Um, Was just outstanding, graded out as the team's top offensive lineman in six of the 11 regular season games. Earned uh, first team all Sunbelt and also took home the Sunbelt Offensive Lineman of the Year Award. I, I know that there might be some people that are a little bit critical of this move because they're saying that he's a guy that doesn't come from a Power 5 conference. But from all intensive purposes, this guy brings versatility. And, I mean, his the way he has pass protected has been unbelievably, I mean, just outstanding so far. He allowed one sack in his first season, allowed one sack this season as an interior offensive lineman, 
not sure. I, I don't remember how many he allowed at tackle, but you would imagine Carolina is going to use him on the interior, and it's probably at that guard spot that Ed Montalus is leaving behind. Yeah, and those people that have questions and doubts, there's a reason to to be questioned and doubted because of the level of competition the guy has played. My hope is that Carolina doesn't stop here. Because if you feel like you need more needs, you need to go and continue to address those needs. Um, and look, Spencer Rollin was a guy that was a nice addition, but look at the level of talent he played against. And then you mentioned look at the struggles he had the second half of the year. It you know it would be fair to have the same type of concerns about this move, but at the group of five level, he was a really good football player. And so what we're going to have to learn is is to step up in competition as drastic as we probably believe it to be. If not, and he transitions well, Carolina's got as good an offensive lineman on their roster that there is today uh, from, from just a numbers and an and a, and a, and a analytical standpoint. If not, then, you know, maybe Mac Brown has to reevaluate the way he goes about rebuilding his team and his roster via the transfer portal, but... Um, the, the thing I like about the most is that Carolina, first off, has been aggressive in the portal, and it, 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 it still appears that there's enough pool to, to come to Chapel Hill amid coordinator leaving, offensive line coach leaving, the defense is, a, you know, is, is still in shambles. There's still just enough pool. There's still enough pool for kids to want to come here and play with Drake May. And I think that was my biggest concern entering this offseason was, did Carolina lose that? Because at 9-1, and one, we were sitting here thinking, even if we don't achieve all of our goals and dreams, well, you got Drake May coming back. You can get any kid in the portal you want to come here and play and help him get this program back to, to winning a conference championship or, or, or something greater. It appears as of right now they haven't lost that, and, and I, I think that's probably more important than people are thinking. Yeah, I, I don't. Th- I mean, I don't think there's any way around that. And yeah, they've been extremely aggressive. The amount of guys that they brought on campus, and a lot of the guys they're familiar with, they're guys from the ACC, and we've seen that's where Carolina has really gone traditionally here. But I like this move. I, I know it's a guy coming from the Group of Five level, but look, he came from a Group of Five team that that played some legitimate competition. I would have been really interested to see what he had would have done if they had been able to play that game against Virginia. But of course, it's understandable why that game was not played late in the season um but I, you know you look at the numbers i think for a guy that was that dominant at the f at the group of five level i find it hard to believe that he will not be somewhat effective for carolina and look he's going to be in a battle there's no doubt about that i don't think they're just handing him one of the starting jobs but you're getting a guy that has experience his track record is as proven as it gets and the thing to me is that you're you're getting a guy that can pass protect, which has been the biggest issue for this unit for the last two years primarily, and even a little bit before that, early or early in Mac Brown's tenure. So I, I, I think it, it really can't hurt you. It can only help you. And I, I think it was a move that Carolina really needed to make. We were looking at some of the other positions, primarily on the other side of the trenches, in that defensive backfield, which Carolina has addressed that, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But this is one that you really, really have to appreciate Carolina's staff for realizing, hey, they, they needed to address this, and they did it so quickly. So, I, I mean, look, I, I think this is also probably one that Randy Clements maybe pointed out and said, look, this is somebody that we should be – you know, we should look into. So I think this is a good move for Carolina. We move to the cornerback position. This is big just for depth. And I think it's it's definitely a little bit of a risk, but I think it's a guy that could have plenty of upside. Uh, Elijah Huzzy uh, comes over from East Tennessee State. FCS All-American, a guy that was, look, absolutely dominant this season. Um, did so many different things for East Tennessee State. Uh, had six interceptions this past season, uh, 59 total tackles. So a guy that not only uh, at, at the cornerback position can make plays on the football um, in the pass game, but a guy that can help you in the run game, uh, is aggressive, 
a good tackler, and that's something that Carolina's corners have really struggled with. This is another guy, though, when he comes in, look, he's not going to be guaranteed a starting spot, but he has the potential to do that if he can build upon what he did at the FCS level. And I think that it was one of those risks that Carolina, I think, had to take with a cornerback room that is as decimated as the one that Carolina has right now. They needed bodies. They needed guys with upside. And it feels like this is probably one of the better moves that they could have made considering the guys that they have been linked to so far in the portal. Yeah, because, you know, you you really got to wonder, does it really matter who you go after? Are you really going to attract kids to want to come play in your defensive backfield? That answer is no, because you just had a mass exodus of guys leave that position group because they've underperformed for four years. And so, um, you know, this, this is this is a solid get for Carolina. Um, but, you know, we're talking about with the offensive linemen, there's legitimate questions here about how does he translate to – the power five level. Um, but if this is a guy that can come in and, and just be a, a guy that can make plays on the ball, it's going to do it's gonna do wonders for this defense because that's the biggest thing they've struggled with really since Butch Davis and company left play. Like you're talking about a defensive backfield that under Larry Fedora just could never really take the ball away outside of 2015. And then the four years that Mac Brown's been back, our corners have really struggled to – to be impactful players on the ball, whether it's via the interception or the pass defended, this guy doesn't have a problem doing that. And I think that if if, if that becomes even just average, what it would do for Carolina's defense, I think, would do wonders. Because I think even so more this year, like I felt like Carolina's guys were in position more often this year to make plays and just simply didn't make them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that was what really got more frustrating than even when your guys were out of position was, you know, like you're there, like all you gotta do is turn your head and play the ball, and for some reason, either we're not teaching that, or it doesn't translate onto the field, and so hopefully this guy can just be an example and a leader in a in a in a, in a room that needs leadership, and I think the thing is is that if this kid comes in here and he has a really bad year. Next year, that's a direct reflection of the coach who coaches that position who, it appears as of right now, is going to be back on the staff next season. Yeah, that's the thing, man. You're right. It's going to be hard to attract some of these other big-name corners when you just had how many guys leave your cornerback room and are going elsewhere. I mean, it's hard to answer those questions. And, And as of right now, I mean, I have to go back and listen to the press conference today but as of right now, it does not seem like there is any confirmation that they are done making staff changes. So there could be changes after the season. So, yeah, recruiting this position is going to be tough. This is one where you're basically – I think we can say it at this point, right? I would be stunned if Gene Chizik is gone. Yeah. I, yeah. So I think you're, you're, you're bringing in guys based on, okay, do you feel like you fit what Gene Chizik and Charlton Warren want to do? And I think this was probably one of those moves. He's a guy that, as you talked about, the thing that you have to do with the way that Carolina runs their system right now is, look, you're going to give up yards because you play so far off of guys. It's all about keeping everything in front of you. Whether we like that strategy or not, that is the strategy that it seems like Gene Chizik and and Charlton Warren right now are focused on the most. And I think that's going to remain with Carolina here moving forward. So you have to be able to capitalize on the opportunities that you have in coverage. I mean, this year you're talking about a guy in in Huzzy that allowed a 38.9 quarterback rating against. Like, this dude was the definition of a lockdown corner. It's my rating on Tinder. How How does it translate moving forward? I don't know. It is a step up. But the good news is, too, with him is it's two years. It's two years of eligibility remaining. Same thing with Willie Lampkin. So these are guys that can help you for a couple of different years. You mentioned earlier, you know, he's taken the same step up that Spencer Rolland did. The biggest thing for Spencer Rolland, and look, I don't I don't blame Carolina for trying to make this move. They needed help on their offensive line, and Rolland did some good things for him. Spencer Rolland also played in the Ivy League, one, which is – Look, it's not that that's a, that's a terrible league. You're still playing football, but look, 
it, it's you only play ten games a year, and it, I, I mean we they do not take on FBS competition. It's very rare that they do. Kind of smart of him, wouldn't you like, say? I, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I saw his former school, Harvard, actually play an FBS opponent. So, I mean, look, I, I think that, you know, for him, it, he also, the Ivy League, they canceled their entire 2020 season. For Huzzy, he played that season. It was in the spring, and it was only six games. But still, having that time, being there, practicing, doing all that stuff – I think his experience was a lot different at the FCS level. So I think he has a better chance to potentially succeed. The last guy, and look, I feel like a lot of people will probably be excited by the name, and and, and he was a former four-star coming out. So there is talent there. But Derek Allen, uh, transfer safety out of Georgia Tech, this is the second time that he's transferred. Originally committed to Notre Dame. Transferred uh, in the spring of what was his second year at Notre Dame after not playing. Uh, was a role player for Georgia Tech. Did have a couple of spot starts for them, but wasn't a full-time starter at the safety spot. This is a move, look, brother of Marcus Allen, so maybe reuniting with his brother. We've seen that, that you know sometimes in, in, in multiple sports, uh, it, it can get you to play your best when you're around somebody uh, that you're just that comfortable with. And look, may, you know, maybe being in a role that he's got one year left, I would not expect him to be the starter, especially if Jaquarius Conley comes back from his injury. You would think that that would probably seem to be Will Hardy uh, as well as either Don Chapman, Giovanni Biggers, or hopefully Jaquarius Conley back there at safety. So, you know, he, he looks like he could slide into a depth position uh, to provide, you know, some help at safety and at nickelback where he played a little bit as well. So this one more about the depth, but I think still a quality move for Carolina. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you, you look at Carolina's defensive backfield, uh, you can't have enough guys because either guys are going to get hurt or at least you need to have the option, as I mentioned earlier, to have other guys that you can put in there when guys are struggling. Yep. And, and maybe if you start adding depth there, it'll force their hand. Um, because that's probably been the most frustrating thing about Mac Brown is that there's just this reluctance to put other guys in the damn game when other guys are playing bad. And, you know, maybe if you start getting enough of, of the right type of depth, that type of stuff will will stop happening. And so, um, you know, him reuniting with his brother, I think, will, you know, will always be a cool story. You'll probably hear it mentioned in every broadcast whenever Marcus Allen gets brought up, let alone if they're both there on the field at the same time making plays. You know, some broadcaster will make so many puns that I'm gonna, you know, wanna, you know, claw my eyes out because that's oh, my pro- job. It, it'll probably be your guy Clay Matvick, baby. Oh god, yeah, since we're playing on ESPNU a lot. But um yeah, I mean, look, th- this was probably the move that whenever I saw it didn't really didn't really this one probably makes as much sense as any because of the connection that you have with right, the, with right. the brother. Um, he's co- committed to Notre Dame. He's committed to Georgia Tech. He's played Power Five football, and um, y- you know, I, I, I think, I think that stuff matters. You know, a, 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 a whole lot more than we probably used to. And like, we're seeing it all around the country. Like, you, you know, no matter whether it's in, in college football or college basketball. It typically takes guys that play in lesser conferences to adjust to the power conferences, but but for the guys that go the other way, that go from the power five to the group of five, that's why you know that's why the group of five schools are as really good as they've ever been. Um, so this move to me, you know, th- this one made a lot of sense. The hope and the goal was to see Carolina still stay aggressive because. There, there's still there's still holes that need to be filled on this roster uh, if we want this team to to compete next year to get back to the ACC title game, and that should be the expectations with a quarterback like Drake May on your roster. So what are some of those spots that you're hoping? Because my mind immediately went to the defensive front. Yes. I want to see an edge rusher um, or, edge, or two. Uh, rushers. I mean, I, w- I would like to see Everything multiple. Everything should be plural when it comes to where they need help defensively. I mean, look, you don't need starter. I think you've got 
You've got Kamen Rucker. I think he needs to be a starter. Or my thing with that up front is, can you rotate more? I just wonder. Get do guys we, in there that we can actually rotate more. I just don't know if we have consistent difference makers at the defensive line position. And I think that all starts in the weight room. Like, so again, it's all about the. It's again about the staff, and we're we're not going to get back into that because we could just rant about that again for another twenty minutes about how. They're not being set up for success. So, I mean, yeah, but you got to find somebody. As far as I know, I don't think Noah Taylor is coming back. I don't know if he is. I think he is in the same boat as Corey Gaynor. He's going to apply for a waiver, and we'll see. But we know Chris Collins isn't coming back. He just committed today to Minnesota. So, I mean, that that kind of leaves a... Question, we're going to see him next year, by the way, Carolina against Minnesota in the non-conference next year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's definitely a position of need. I think you've got to probably get multiple guys that can play that jack position, that can get after the quarterback. I, I, I think you still need an interior defensive lineman, too. I mean, I, if, yes. if you can find a guy down there, you, you got to go out and get one. Maybe it doesn't need to be your nose tackle because I think you're hoping that Travis Shaw takes that step as your as your nose, but you need somebody that can come in there and and really be, you know, sort of that that hybrid guy beside him that can rush the passer um, on on passing downs, but can also help you in the run game. And then the other one to me, they they got to add somebody in my mind. Not that the room is in bad shape, but I think you've got to you got to add a wide receiver somewhere along the way. Probably in the slot, which they they have been looking at here early on in the portal. Yeah, I mean like for me, I, I I'm just so focused on that defensive side of the ball and mainly up front cuz I feel like Carolina has nice pieces. I think Cayman Rucker, nice piece. I think Javari Ritzy a nice piece. I think Travis Shaw showed at times he can be a nice piece. Same thing with Jacoby Cowan. They need difference makers. That's the biggest issue. They don't have guys up there that are winning one-on-one consistently. And until that happens, this defense isn't going to get any better. And, you know, mm-hmm. again, I think you're 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 fighting the same uphill battle it is when you're trying to get defensive backs in here is players aren't dumb. Like, they're, they're, they're so aware of what's going on now. Like, guys can look at the film and say, Tim Cross isn't helping me become a, you know, a guy that can get to the NFL. You don't even have to, you, you don't even have to look at the film. All you got to do is go on social media and search any of those lines, UNC defensive line, whatever. When you see the fact that once they got into conference season, the final 10 games of the year, they had a combined 10 sacks. Yeah, I mean that's all you got to know. So, like, uh, uh, you're you're not you're gonna have concerns about the future of the guy that is probably recruiting you. That that's where I'm more focused. Like, I understand you probably you want to add another wide receiver, but I mean at this point, like I, I've still got the utmost confidence in Drake May, and, and I feel like like he's too good for the guys around him to not be good. So like, if Carolina doesn't add in that in that area I'm not going to be totally devastated because it probably puts more emphasis on your tight ends which I still think needs to be a big part of this offense moving forward too if I'm Carolina I'm trying to get as many dudes on the defensive side of the ball as as I can because until that side of the ball gets fixed I we've learned the hard way it doesn't matter how good you are on offense you're not gonna you're not gonna win the type of games you want to win yeah, no, I, I think it, the only reason that they will look for guys on the offensive side of the football is probably because you're bringing in a new offensive coordinator, guys that fit the scheme a little bit better. Um, I mean, I think the ultimate thing when you talk about wide receivers, you got to figure out where Kobe Pesor is playing. Is he playing on the outside? We saw him play there a little bit in the bowl, in in the uh, ACC championship game, and let's see what he does in the bowl game, or is he playing in the slot? Wherever he's playing, I think you, you you don't need to really address that position. And then after that, you just have to go out and you know fill whatever role he you know isn't playing, and that's going to be left behind by either Josh Downs or Antoine Green. So that'll be interesting to monitor, and we'll do that, of course, over on the website at HeelToughBlog.com. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back after this, I'll tell you a little bit about the guys that are getting ready to sign their letters of intent. That's right. National Signing Day is on Wednesday. Carolina 
looks to close out a pretty successful 2023 class, all things considered. We'll tell you about a couple of guys that already have their signing times locked in as uh, we get you out of here on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast back right after this. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. The reason why they have all these great ways that you can play with same-game parlays, easy and fast payouts, and player prop options. So if you want to bet on maybe even some of the former Tar Heels, how many rushing yards Michael Carter will have in a game for the Jets, you can do it all at DraftKingsSportsbook.com. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Guys, I've been using it to bet on my favorite team, even though they let me down this past week. The New York Giants, I've been betting on them all season long, and it has worked out well for me. I've been betting heavily on Saquon Barkley. Mike Kafka, can you please help me out and use him a little bit more this week? You can bet on your favorite team, even if it's the Carolina Panthers, at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TPPN. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the promo code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter. At Heel Tough Blog on Twitter, make sure you give it a follow, and you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack Zubber Two for our recruiting analyst Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe with you. Well, as I mentioned. The early signing period window does open on Wednesday, and that means it is National Signing Day. That that Wednesday, usually when most guys go ahead and sign their letters of intent, there are a couple of guys that will wait later into the window, but Carolina does have some guys that are already currently uh, you know, committed to the class that are going to sign their letters of intent and have already announced those signing times. Four-star wide receiver Chris Culliver, Carolina's top recruit in the class now, is signing his letter of intent actually tomorrow on Tuesday at 1.30 p.m. at his high school, Maiden High School. Uh, he's going to go ahead and get it out of the way early. You would imagine that means he'll just send his in sometime early on on Wednesday for it to be official, but he is going to have that ceremony and sign his name to the paper uh, tomorrow afternoon. Meanwhile, four-star quarterback Tad Hudson will be signing his letter of intent Wednesday morning at 9.30 a.m. He was a guy that I think a lot of people were kind of interested in when Carolina went ahead and made the announcement that Chip Lindsey was going to be the offensive coordinator. He did respond to somebody on social media that was asking him what he thought of the move and was very complimentary. So he is going to sign with Carolina, no doubt about it. He will not be following Phil Longo to Wisconsin. So the Tar Heels will keep their in-state quarterback in this class And then three-star linebacker Omari Campbell did not say a specific time, but he did confirm that he, too, will be signing his letter of intent on Wednesday. Also on Wednesday, there are uh, decisions expected from Carolina's two remaining targets in the class, running back Jordan Louie out of the state of Georgia. Carolina's been pushing hard for him. It looks like Carolina and Vanderbilt are the two that are battling it out for him. And then Carolina uh, expected at this point to land uh, three-star defensive tackle Rodney Laura, who was, of course, committed to Virginia at one time. Carolina was recruiting him early on in the cycle, but eventually backed off. It looks like Carolina will now 
uh, go ahead and uh, with the spot open with Josh Horton decommitting, take his commitment uh, after they hosted him for an official visit this weekend. Doesn't really feel like anybody else is in there. Wisconsin, they were the team that was, you know, on 24-7 sports marked as warm at one time. That doesn't seem to really be a threat anymore. So all uh, all signs point to him signing with Carolina uh, and, and committing uh, to them sometime on Wednesday. We'll have you covered on the website through all of that, all of the transfer portal news, and, of course, leading you up to the bowl game on HeelToughBlog.com. As we grow closer to the bowl game, it's going to be time to preview the bowl game. And then afterwards, I'll have the recap for you. Uh, And then we will, of course, go into uh, postseason mode where we wrap everything up. The final grades will be coming out after that. Tons of stuff that we have to get to uh, as the season wraps up. And with the transfer portal, it seems like Carolina's not done just yet. So you would imagine that there is still going to be some news on that front coming out over the next couple of weeks, 2024 class, there could be some early pushes for Carolina after they go ahead and wrap up their early signing class for the 2023 cycle. So we will keep you posted on that on the website at HeelToughBlog.com. Also there, you can check out uh, what, what we got on the basketball side of things. Carolina starting to feel it just a little bit. That loss to Virginia Tech really sort of seemed to wake this team up. They had that week off in between, and now Carolina's won three straight. They've probably played their three best games of the season. A huge win the other day against Ohio State. Go check out that recap on the website to relive that thrilling victory for Carolina in Madison Square Garden. And now the Tar Heels not back home, but in a place that is very friendly to them in the Spectrum Center as they get ready to take on Michigan in the Jumpman Invitational. That'll be on Wednesday night, and Josh will have you covered wall-to-wall with that with a preview and a recap of that game. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Josh for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for listening, and as always, go Tony. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.